The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. Okay, thanks for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies, uh, brought to you by uh, uh, Woodbine Entertainment. We've got a lot of hot-breaking news for you. We also have some incredible racing uh, going on, particularly someplace I'm going to be on Saturday, and that's down at the old dueling grounds. That's right, going to make the trip to Kentucky Downs. Oh, man. The money that's given out and the classy horses that are coming in, it's going to be one great day. And the weather is looking super, so uh, don't be changing all your handicapping to uh, a softer yielding track because that's all they have is grass down there. Uh, two uh, two really good guests, one that I've never had on and one that's uh, been a regular that just had some late-breaking news out on her. Uh, the first is... Uh, uh, Barry Meadow, this guy's an interesting character. I actually have two of his books, one that came out, oh, I'm going to say decades ago, uh, which was Money Secrets at the Racetrack, and uh, now he's uh, got a new book out uh, called The Skeptical Handicapper, where uh, he teamed up uh, with a, uh, a technician uh, by the way of Ken Massa of Handicapping Technology and Research, and Put this book together. Now, this guy's been around. I mean, he actually for a while made a living as a handicapper, and so he's used a lot of different methods, and it's going to be very interesting to see how he transferred uh, both his observations of the racing game with the statistical backing uh, to create this rather thick book. Let's see. We're talking about 420 pages. Uh, But so uh, Barry Meadow will be our first guest, and then – Alive, returning home from her afternoon at Kentucky Downs, none other than Kate and Brader. And listen to this. This just broke, oh, about a half an hour ago that uh, uh, Kate has been named the Jim McKay Award for Career Excellence in Broadcasting. And we'll get into her her full bio, but she's been there and done that for just about uh, every uh, station on television. And uh, so this is going to happen on Breeders' Cup weekend, and it's presented by the National Turf Riders and Broadcasters Association. Doesn't get any bigger than that, so we're going to get to congratulate Katen when she comes on. She'll she'll be at the bottom uh, part of the hour, uh, and Barry is going to come on with us uh, towards the top. Okay, we do do have other uh, late-breaking news, too. I'm going to get to that in a minute. First, let me take a look at how well we did on winning ponies last week. Always come up with some big ones. And again, when you've got these big races with big pools, your bets are going to get lost and you're not going to get hurt by uh, laying down uh, a, a little uh, green on a steed that you like. So anyhow, this week, coast to coast all over the place. Uh, did well out at Emerald Downs with a $1 pick five that paid 1621 
Further on the West Coast at Golden Gate, a $1 super high five paid over $1,400. And stay right there at Golden Gate, a $1 super five box that paid $1,100. And at the opposite end of beautiful North America at Gulfstream Park, getting it in without any hurricanes to deal with. It was just about six days ago, $1 super five paid $1,102. So don't forget winning ponies come on over and pull down those easy win forms all right now we're going to look at some national news like i said uh, some of it's late breaking of course the news about katon is but how about this this just came out in a flash seems like any late breaking news always happens about 20 minutes before we go on the air uh with this show you know we've heard a lot of whispers about uh turfway park what might happen to it they've got new ownership they're probably not interested in running a racetrack. They just sold one. Churchill Downs is proposing a new track in northern Kentucky, and the track would take over the winter race dates currently held by Turfway Park. Now, I'm hearing about this for the first time, just as you are, because I just just got this info. So, and I, I had had, do you remember when we had Damon Thayer, Senator Damon Thayer on a couple of weeks ago? And I asked him about Turfway. He goes, well, John, maybe they'd be better off just tearing it down and building a uh, track like where the old Latonia was. Of course, Latonia was the name of the track in Northern Kentucky before it became Turfway Park. And so, uh, maybe he knew something we didn't know, or somebody was listening and said, hey, good idea. But this release just came out today where Churchill Downs said it's going to file an application with the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission requesting those winter thoroughbred racing dates. So in the long term, Churchill will pursue the winter dates for a $2 million track and historical gaming facility that it would construct in northern Kentucky. It would be called New Latonia Racing and Gaming, which tells me – <clears throat> I may have been at Turfway Park for the last time. Uh, hopefully, they'll at least get to run through this winter. Uh, it's a place where a lot of my friends race and a lot of people I know work there. But there's no reason to think that they won't all move over to the uh, new Latonia facility. Now, um, we haven't heard anything official from uh, Turfway yet. Chip Bach hasn't been contacted. but uh, So they're saying that... Uh, the 2020 race dates is a critical short-term measure to support the thoroughbred racing circuit in Kentucky. And I always said that. Yeah, that's why Turfway was important to keep it going year-round in Kentucky. So uh, I guess if approved, the Churchill dates would uh, move the proposed new Latonia facility once it's completed. So I'm not sure if racing is still going to take place at the old facility. But um, Churchill expects new Latonia would remain open now, this is the new place. New Latonia would remain open year-round as a training facility uh, to support thoroughbred racing circuits across Kentucky. And then phase two, the proposed project uh, could include the addition of a hotel uh, with other investment that could go up to $50 million. So that's late breaking news for my friends listening in southern Ohio and northern Kentucky. I did get the story from the Blood Horse, I will tell you. So uh, if you might want to go over there and read the full story. <clears throat> want to buy a horse? Well, go on down to Phasic Tipton to their uh, sale of the stars, Midnight Bizu. 
the top-rated older female in North America will be offered at the November 4th sale, Night of the Stars, it's called. And uh, he five-time grade one winner, 11-time graded stakes winner, from seven furlongs to a mile and an eighth. Ooh, what a fine mare she could be for many, many years. And who knows? There's nothing wrong with her. There's no reason you can't keep her in training for another year. So She's undefeated this year and has never finished off the board in 17 starts. She's now won $3,245,000. I mean, this year, Midnight Bezu has just been unbeatable on a spectacular season. And I told you this might be the race of the year, the personal ensign stakes, where she and a late went down in a dramatic stretch duel, the third meeting between the two distaff stars with Midnight Bezu prevailing on each occasion. She's also won the Ogden FIP Stakes, Grade 1, the Apple Blossom, Grade 1, the Azaria, Grade 2, the Molly Pitcher, Grade 3, and the Houston Ladies Classic, a Grade 3, just this year. So that will be interesting. You better have a lot of green in those jeans if you're going to be down at the Phasic Tifton sale and expect a bid on her. Well, the uh, Ellis Park uh, meet is over, uh, but it uh, looks like things are getting better and better. Uh, the reports, while not detailed, said wagering increased 21% over 2018 and purses paid to horsemen going up 30%. And so the new management team is looking at even bigger races for 2020. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> when you see people like Florent Giroux, who's the eighth leading rider in North America, he pretty much called uh, Ellis Park home, except when he went out of town on some weekends to ride some big races. And how about Tyler Bays? I mean, he was just always a standard on the California circuit. He rode almost every day of the Ellis Park meet. So uh, the reports on the last season are good, and the reports on next season, they hope, will be even better. Uh, Jose Ortiz won the Saratoga riding title, and he also got Jockey of the Week. He finished out the Saratoga meet with 60 wins, seven more than his brother, Irad Ortiz. Jose Ortiz won the title in 2016 and 2017, and he switched titles with his brother last year in 2018. But, boy, he went out in style. He closed out the meet with a win in the $350,000 run, Happy Hopeful, and also guided Asmussen's Basin to a six-length victory for two-year-olds on the dirt. So congratulations to Jose Ortiz. Now, he wasn't the only jockey that got vote. Uh, they divided ballot between Flavia and Pratt, who won three races and earned the Del Mar summer meet riding title. Paco Lopez, a good week, who won four stakes and had a five-win card at Monmouth Park. And Joel Rosario, who won three stakes at Saratoga. Okay, well, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Kentucky Downs with Kate and Brader in just a little while. Uh, but before we get there, let's go to last week's action because we had plenty of it from coast to coast i brought in brian zipsy and byron king to uh, help us with the handicapping the woodward it was on national tv and it was preservationist who got the job done there uh preservationist who's just uh, been lightly raced he's a six-year-old was only making his 10th lifetime start but to make it in a race like that, 
not too bad at all. Th- uh, three to one, he went off at just split a crowd coming down the stretch and was very game in his finish. Running second at 16 to one was Bal Harbor, and uh, third uh, was was the seven in here. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, Yoshida, uh, who put in a big rally from last, but uh, just did not get. The, the job done uh but that that again was the uh, the legendary woodward stakes um looking now we went out with uh, brian uh well, earlier in the card at saratoga rather the prioress a grade two and everybody thought well there's no sense to bet this race you couldn't even break even by betting break even who was undefeated in her career well can't say that anymore that's right it was upset time at nine to two royal charlotte who in her career only had one bad race um and it happened in the last race the test other than that uh, she was four for four uh before the test don't know what happened you never would know when a horse has had a bad day they didn't make any equipment changes or anything along those lines and uh so royal charlotte upsets break even in in the prioress the uh the uh, Delmar debutantes where we went out west, and uh, the winner in there was Bast, who put in a strong finish and won easy by many. Uh, one at five to two. Bob Baffert, trainee, a young horse on the west coast. Surprise, surprise. So Bast got the job done uh, <clears throat> over uh, Inspiresa, who was the five to two choice. Third was comical. Then we went to the Virginia Derby, and uh, that was a mile and eighth on the turf at Colonial Downs. And it was English B, who was second most of the way until the stretch, had a tough run and just held off. Jazé Salatou with a strong rally. Sophie Doyle put in a great ride on Jazé's Solitude. So that was a look at the races that we uh, we handicapped with uh with Brian Zipsy, and then we went to a different Brian, and uh, that was Byron King, not by Brian. Okay, he's down at Kentucky Downs, and uh, the, the winner of the One Dreamer quarter million up for grabs at five to one just pulled away. It was Hannah Lee Moon got the job done there, and then in the eighth race, it was the the tourist mile, Snapper Sinclair, Steve Asmussen trainee, just got up at 10 to 1. That was a one-mile race, $750,000 uh, on the line right there. And then at Kentucky Downs, it was the Exacta Systems Juvenile Phillies, half a million on the line there. And the winner was Jezebel's Kitten, who just put in a dominant performance. See, Kitten's Joy that sold for only $40,000, trained by Brad Cox. And then the uh, Gainesway Farm Juvenile, they had to go outside to get the winner there. Peace Achieve, the horse I like, went off at 5-1, to one, Miguel Mania in the saddle. Uh, they put blinkers on for its last start. One going away and one again. That was the Gainesway Farm Juvenile. All right, we're going to take a little bit of a break here and... Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking to the author and a man with an interesting backstory, Barry Meadow. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, 
VoiceAmerica.com. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full fields with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right. Well, with me now, uh, a man that has worn many hats uh, over the years. His name is Barry Meadow. I kind of gave you a little bit of his bio at the top of the show. I actually have in my hand the two books he's written. I have Money Secrets at the Racetrack that I inherited when I took over my new position. And there it was in the book rack uh, that was sent out in 1988 uh, for the then uh, executive director to review. And then uh, so I got that one and perused it. And then I, in the mail not too long ago, I got this beautiful book, The Skeptical Handicapper. And uh, I, the author is Barry Meadow. Um, I, I can't really tell you his uh, his background because this show is only an hour long. But it's a very interesting one. And first of all, before we go any further, Barry Meadow, uh, I want to thank you for your service. I understand that you're a Vietnam veteran. Uh, yes, I even went to the racetrack when I was in, uh, at that time it was called Saigon. And I wondered why there were 15,000 Vietnamese there plus me. Uh, when, <laughs> how come they weren't fighting in the war? <laughs> uh, that racetrack, at, at one time the Viet Cong controlled the backstretch, but when I went there it was actually safe to go. So I would uh, take off sometimes on a Saturday, get in my little uh, sicklo, and off I would go to, uh, off I would go to the troll. Well, Barry, I know that you are not a newbie because I'm looking at your picture on the back of Money Secrets at the Racetrack, and then I did see your bio picture that you sent me, and it looks like we've uh, evolved at about the same rate. Uh, Well, I'm so old, I'm almost dead, but luckily my mind is still working. So (laughs) I can still read a racing form, and I still have some idea what I'm looking at. So, so far, so good. Uh, from, from what I recall reading one of the earlier chapters, um, you kind of got, I get exposed to it because my, 
we weren't a racing family per se, but my brother ended up working in Saratoga. But uh, I remember coming home and we loved, I don't know if you got a card. At, it was the A&P supermarkets. I'm talking about upstate New York. And then you'd come home and about 6.30, they would put on a bunch of races from like the trap tropical park i want to say someplace in florida and you never knew who the winner was but i think you got a card and you got to check them out and if you won you you got so many green stamps or something now from what i recall you had a similar thing only it was like yonkers night at the races there was a show back in the late 50s called racing from yonkers and they had this newfangled thing called videotape so i tuned in one day and i found this fascinating nobody in my family knew anything about gambling or about horses so this is something I could kind of just do on my own. And I watched this thing, and I convinced some of my uh, uh, little fifth-grade friends to start gambling on these horses. Uh, this way it will give us something to watch when, uh, when we're home. So we each bet a nickel for each race. Whoever had the most winners collected the nickels from the other person. So if somebody had three winners, somebody else had one, that guy who only had one would have to give the difference of two nickels. And there was a guy who kept winning. And I was trying to figure out, why does this guy keep winning? And I discovered that he was buying the newspaper with a handicap in it. The rest of us were just playing lucky numbers. So that was my first inkling that if you had better information than your opponents, you had some chance to make money. <laughs> Absolutely. And I really liked uh, <laughs> your forward. Hey, hey, hey folks, I'll let you know something else on his bio is that he uh, he went out west to uh, uh, write television sitcoms and uh, do stand-up comedy. And this is this is pretty comedic as far as the forward we are horse players. You hit that so good. The ups and downs, the ins and outs, uh, the the close calls, the one that got away. But the bottom line is we keep coming back. I think I think we keep banging our head against the wall because it feels so good when we stop. Oh, well, I think the fact that every once in a while the gods align a race in such a way that we can make a bunch of money on it or our opinion was vindicated. So often we're looking to have that feeling again. And even if it only comes a couple of times a year where everything lines up perfectly, we remember those days and we want them again. So racing keeps bringing us back. Yes, yes, we do. And and the other thing is that you, you strike me as a guy that appreciates the, the texture of, uh, shall I say, the good old days, uh, you know, uh, live racing and, uh, you know, tickets being thrown on the floor and uh, guys with uh, nicknames like Rad Eye Eddie and Tommy Nine Fingers and stuff like that. The, the colorful characters at, at the racetrack that were that were there. And then, of course, you kind of talk about the evolution of you didn't have to be at the races anymore. You could be in an off-track betting parlor or you could have an offshore account or you could just bet on eventually on the Internet. So it, it is uh, – you've been with me in over the decades and in the change of uh, – of, of how we partake in the sport, uh, but also from what you've got in your book that I've read thus far, uh, your collaboration with Ken Mass of Handicapping Technology and Research is now you've got data to back up your handicapping decisions. Well, one problem with a lot of handicapping books is they give the author's opinion. And maybe the author's a smart guy. Maybe he's played the races for a long time. But uh, having stories about how I won a particular race doesn't really help us. I'd rather zero in on the angles, what's successful and what's not. And for that, you need data. They say that uh, a thousand anecdotes equals zero evidence. So I, I like having actual evidence. 
So when I first started playing, I kept records. I kept records of trainers long before anybody else was. And uh, I like to see not just people's reputation and ideas, but facts to back it up. So for this particular uh, book, I work with Ken Masso. We looked at every single race between 2014 and 2017 nationwide. That was over 168,000 races, obviously involving millions of running lines, to come up with the conclusions we have for the book. Well, I'm not going to ask your conclusions, but one thing that always baffles me, and perhaps it's addressed in one of your chapters, is uh, strength and weaknesses or angles of first-time starters. Did your data uh, unmine anything that uh, became a jewel? Well, this is something that I learned that I didn't know when I was actually playing. I played full-time for five years at the Hornets races and then 23 at the thoroughbreds. The workouts are extremely significant for two-year-olds uh, and, and with other first-time starters. And, of course, I think most of us know that a faster workout is better than a slower workout. Regular workouts are better than gaps. Workouts from a top trainer are more important than workouts from a guy who never wins. Uh, and factors like that. But uh, there was a, we found, I'll give you one example. You take every two-year-old first-time starter, for those four years, uh, whose last workout was a five-for-long bullet, not four or six, but a five-for-long bullet, 3,033 starts, 17% wins, but most importantly, a 6% profit, a 6% profit with no handicapping whatsoever, simply by playing any two-year-old whose final workout, first-time starter, was a, was a five-for-long bullet. So things like that we discovered from the computer research. Uh, the importance of workouts, I think, are much more important than people think. Uh, so when I was playing, I always bought two workout services. People analyzed the workouts so they could tell you which horses looked good, which didn't look so good despite the times. So I always consider them important, but now I think they're even more important than that. Uh, I wouldn't play without access to workouts. Now, the only thing about workouts, because I used to watch them a lot in the morning uh, with a famous clocker by the name of Richard Bailey at River Downs, uh, is some, sometimes you might have a jockey on the horse or a light exercise rider, and other times you get guys on there that could be uh, uh, have a part-time job as Santa Claus. Uh, and that's well, something that doesn't reflect in the time, you know what I mean? Well, that's why the workout reports that you buy, commercial workout reports, which I always did buy, uh, are so important because they'll tell you who was working the horse sometimes, was the horse wide on the turn, what was the purpose of the work, was, the, was he trying to go as fast as he could, or was he just trying to shadow another horse? Uh, I think all that gives you information about a horse, and it brings up an important point for me. I always thought it's very important to know exactly what you're looking at, whether it's workouts, interpreting workouts or whether it's watching replays, which, which, which was my key thing. I watch replays of every race in northern and southern California every single day, and that helped me form an opinion about a horse. Not just where he finished but what his, or what his figure was, but what did he look like? What did he want? What were his favorite situations? Because a horse who gets his situation is going to do better than a horse who doesn't. And a lot of times the public is not quite aware of it. They look at where a horse finished. Uh, or what his time was, and they'll jump to conclusions. But it's how he did the time and how he finished first or fourth or eighth or whatever he did that's much more important. So for me, it's important to know exactly what you're looking at, which is good many years of life and certainly was for me 
in horse race handicapping? Well, uh, perhaps the most important part of this interview for you is how do people get their hands on this uh, really uh, well-researched and written book, The Skeptical Handicapper, Using Data and Brains to Win at the Racetrack? Uh, where do we go, Barry, to get the book? Well, people could go to Amazon, but a better deal is to go to my website, which is trpublishing.com. Easy to remember because it stands for Thoroughbred Racing, trpublishing.com, because if they order through my website, a few nice things will happen. I'll send them uh, free shipping. I'll also give them a $5 discount on the book, and I'll autograph it personally for them. So that would be the way I would recommend getting the book, uh, trpublishing.com. Well, that is awesome. Well, you know, I, I know, Barry, that uh, you've kind of been uh, retired since 2011. I don't know if horse, ca- horse players ever fully uh, retire. Do you think you might do a return engagement on this show? Uh, I could give you the races we were going to look at, you know, several days out. It would be a good, solid card and maybe put some of your theories to work and do a little handicapping with us. Well, I'll do my best. You know, it's not like the days when I kept all my own records and did my own figures for every horse, did my own trip notes on every horse. But I can still look at a card and make some kind of predictions. For example, just this very day, I hardly ever play now, but it so happened today there was a $33,000 pick five at Indiana Downs, a horse that I've never bet $1 on in my life. But I said, well, I'm not doing anything today. I think I'll handicap the card. So I handicapped the five races, uh, and uh, I put in a ticket. It was a small ticket, and I was able to hit all five, and I wound up only losing $50 on the bet. So I feel good about that because four <laughs> favorites in the second choice wound up winning. So <laughs> the stories never end, do they? It's it's a moral victory, uh, Barry Meadow, a moral victory. And uh, sometimes that's just as good as a, a, a few uh, greens in our jeans, that's for sure. Hey, I, I want to really thank you for spending time with us tonight. I want to thank you for all the effort and work that you put into the skeptical handicapper and again for folks out there amazon's one way but it's a lot cooler to get a discount and to get an autographed copy of this beautiful hardcover book uh trpublishing.com right barry that's right we'll pay for the shipping give them a discount and get the autograph too so it's a win for everybody All right. Sounds good to me. Thanks for joining us here on Winning Ponies. That was Barry Meadow, author of The Skeptical Handicapper. And we're going to take a little bit of a break. And uh, hopefully I can get a hold of Kate and Brader as she's heading up the highway, going home for a little break from Kentucky Downs. I'm John Englehart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. 
pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full fields with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, you're back here on Winning Ponies with John Engelhart and one of my favorite guests who's, I know, going out of her way. She's uh, being chauffeured uh, back to her palatial estate uh, after a day of racing at Kentucky Downs. We are talking once again with one of the most vivacious, informative, and fun people to watch on TV, Kate and Brader. Kate, and how about you? You just won the Jim McKay Award. Oh, John, it has been just an amazing day, and it, it continues. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you. It, that, uh, that was an unexpected honor, and I have to say, um, given that it was named for Jim McKay, uh, who, when I first started in television, I was part of the ABC crew, um, it, that uh, knowing Jim and knowing the previous award winners, including Jack Whitaker, who, of course, just passed away, um, it yes. was very, very special to me. You know, you think about it, we talk so much about, you know, trying to get national attention for racing and to get, you know, major uh, personalities involved in endorsing it. I mean, Jim McKay was one of those guys because, I mean, of course, a lot of people knew him from the Olympics and ABC Sports. But for him to, like, embrace uh, uh, racing as he did was a, a big boost for the sport, I thought. Oh, I think so. And, you know, especially when you go to Maryland, um Every year, the Maryland Million, for example, was really, now it's known as the Jim McKay Maryland Million. I mean, that was his brainchild. He not only embraced racing, but he had a real passion for it. And I think the fact that he did helped elevate the sport um, to a wider audience. Uh, he really, he did tremendous things in, in terms of giving it a boost. And uh, it was just very special also to, to work around him who, he was so professional and so amazing. Everybody that was on uh, the network at that time were, but Jim, to have that uh, passion combined with that expertise and um, just professional acumen, he was kind of one of a kind. So it's this has been really very, very meaningful to me. And I know to all of those that worked with Jim, too, um, in terms of racing. Every year that I go to, back to Maryland, which, of course, was his home state, 
you know, he he basically was involved in some of the very first broadcasts of horse racing on the air in Maryland, and uh, and they are very much aware of it. So every time that there's an opportunity to kind of talk about it, I, I love to. And I think you can see that it was passed on because even his son, um, Sean McManus, who is a, a television executive and, and very much involved in that side of things, has uh, also come out to Maryland on Maryland Million Day and has still been somewhat involved in the sport. So um, it was very, very much a passion for Jim. Well, we're talking with Kate and Brader. Of course, she's worked for pretty much every major initial uh, in sports television, ABC, <laughs> ESPN, CBS, FOX, HRTV, and she was part of the original team to launch TVG. Did you guys all get together for a reunion last week? Well, you know, I was I was occupied, but so I didn't get to go. But yes, we did have the alumni day, which was a real treat, and um, and it's been kind of a, a several month celebration going on um, for TVG's twentieth anniversary, and um, to to have been a part of it. And there were there are a few of us who were uh, on that original day that we launched that are still here. Um, Todd Shrupp, Matt Carruthers, and I were all on that day, and they're still still there and, and kicking. But to see how far the network has come and what it's meant. Um, you know, when, when I think about even just what happened with the awards day, I, I think of how important TVG was in terms of my career and in terms of horse racing in general. Um, I, I think it's grown exponentially and kind of uh, from those days of us having just a few races and, and now pretty much coverage from around the world um, for every major race and just tremendous to have been a part of that ride. And it's really been fun. TVG was out at Kentucky Downs today and um, with Caleb Keller covering on, on site. And, you know, I can't think of too many places that TVG isn't now as far as uh, a presence both for those who are watching horse racing, but also um, just on track, communicating with with the horsemen and the fans, and uh, bringing the experience to all those homes. So uh, we've, I think, we've come a long way, and I'm really proud of of being associated with TVG, and they've certainly been uh, instrumental and and extremely important for me. And and Kate, they they haven't stopped because. Um, I really like the, the new infusion. You know, it's one thing to just get to a level and be happy with what you got. But I think bringing on Matt Bernier and bringing back Ken Rudolph was a, a really sharp play on their part. Yeah, hasn't it been? Uh, it's been so well received by so many fans. And I, I, I think that's just so great. All of us, of course, had opportunity to work with Ken Rudolph, who was a part of the network when we launched. And in fact, he and Matt Carruthers were the ones that sort of welcomed it on the air for the very, very first day when we went live. But um, now to bring in Matt, whose expertise is, is so great and his way of expressing it, of looking at a race, his opinions, I, I just am I'm thrilled to have the opportunity looking forward to get to work with him. But it's been fun just from the viewer's standpoint to get to watch it. I, I really think um, it was a, a great addition, and I know that the, the fans have really been excited about it and embraced it as well. 
Yeah, I'm a big Matt Bernier fan. I always have been. Actually, actually, when he was just doing that stint on horse players uh, before uh, uh, they discontinued that, I mean, he was very sharp back then. But it's just nice to see that they're not staying stagnant. It's like, okay, here's what we got, and this is what we're sticking with. And I think that this is a, a breath of fresh air uh, for both of them. When I say fresh air, of course, Ken was already on. But still, the fact that he returned from doing uh, television on different uh, kind of entertainment formats uh, out in California, it, it, it's pretty cool to bring them back, and I'm seeing a, a lot of buzz on Twitter and stuff like that. And one more thing before we start talking about Kentucky Downs is, were 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 you with Smarty Jones last week? I didn't know if that was your I was, or not. I was. You know, I for for several years I've been part of the team that has covered um, for it's been for a variety of networks, but um, locally the the Pennsylvania Derby, and this year. Pennsylvania Derby will be on NBC Sports, which is tremendous for exposure for parks and for the Pennsylvania Derby and the Cotillion. But because of that, um, the the budget and the time that was allotted for the coverage of Pennsylvania Derby was able to be shifted to Smarty Jones Day. And what was really a treat for me was that not only did we cover the races, and it was exceptional racing and turned out to be a record-setting day as far as handle was concerned, but it was also an opportunity on the 15th anniversary of Smarty Jones, Kentucky Derby, and Preakness Triumphs and his subsequent retirement for him to come back. And the timing just worked out perfectly because Smarty had been in Uruguay uh, at Stud, and he only came back to the United States about six months ago, and he's now based in Pennsylvania, um, breeding at Equisport Farm um, as a stallion, but so he was close by, and they were able to bring him to parks, and thousands of fans turned out specifically to to get to see Smarty uh, making his first appearance at the racetrack in almost 15 years to the date. So, and I'm going to tell you, he looked unbelievable. He looked like he could go right back into training and hit the racetrack, but you know, for those of us who, who are at, at tracks around the country and who are, you know, covering racing day in and day out, sometimes you can get a little bit jaded or wonder, you know, is, is everybody, is anybody else excited about racing? But when you see something like that and you see the welcome that the fans gave Smarty Jones and you see also the joy um, Pat Chapman had uh, his owner in coming back and bringing him, and she brought the trophies from the Derby and the Preakness and set up wow. a photo opportunity so that fans could actually get their pictures taken with the Derby and the Preakness trophy. I mean, it was just one of the coolest events um, that I've covered in, in a long, long time. It goes on my list of, of top racing experiences. So, and, and just to see Smarty was just wonderful. Now I, I I I know he's a little bit older, but he's still a stallion. That from what I saw, he was cool, calm, and collected. Did he ever get on the muscle? Maybe get a whiff of a mare at the track or anything? Well, I don't know about the mare, but I will say he did get. Uh, he was absolutely a professional. When they, they at first they were not going to bring him into the winner's circle because of the concern that so many fans in such a close area would get him a little bit more stirred up than you wanted to see or get him a bit more on the muscle. But he was so good that when they walked him down and Pat Chapman jumped in, as soon as she saw him come down the track, she just couldn't resist. And she walked on the track with him and with his team all the way down to the walking ring, and they made a 
several passes in the walking ring, and then they came back and walked up the track to the winner's circle. When they brought him into the winner's circle, he got a little little puffed up and proud of himself, and, and the fans, of course, started applauding and cheering. So they didn't keep him in the winner's circle for very long. They took maybe a picture or two at the most, and then they took him back home. But... Um, that was the only time, and, and I mean, he deserved to get, you know, he didn't have to do any work. He just walked down the racetrack, and then everybody started cheering. So I, I can't begrudge him getting a little stirred up around the muscle, <laughs> but he really was was professional. Oh, that is great. You just gave me goosebumps, Caton. Uh, yeah, I just love stuff like that. I'm, I'm a sucker for famous horses and the admiration that people continue to give them. I love when there's that appreciation. Well, let's move on to a little old track uh, using the well-worn uh, statement, America's most European racetrack. You're a part of a big team of, of people there covering it. They put together a, a great outfit, a quarterback by my girl, Jenny Reese. And uh, so let's talk about the Kentucky Downs on Saturday. You just had a big day today. You want to reflect for a moment on anything that did happen today that stood out? Well, I'm going to say that um, there are a few things, but most notably, as far as the jockey race, it is really heating up again, which has been the case um, in years past. We, I think we have one of the most exceptional jockey colonies in the country. And today, um, kind of proof of that. You have Joel Rosario and Jose Ortiz, Clips Award-winning jockey, leading jockey in the country. You had Florent Giroux, who has um, been leading rider at Kentucky Downs and among the top ten. Of course, I'm biased uh, because of my husband's association as his agent, but um, you have Julian Leperu, multiple Eclipse champion. Uh, it's just an incredibly deep jockey colony, not to mention the local jockeys or the jockeys that are based in Kentucky year-round, Corey Lannery, James Graham, Adam Biskitza. So, uh, but today, uh, when we, by the end of today, and it was interesting, the first day we had nothing but long shots, not a favorite hit the winner's circle. Today, favorites won almost all day long with a couple of exceptions. I think there were two or three races where the favorite did not win, but we did still have a couple long shots. But as far as the jockeys race went, um, Florent leads all jockeys with four wins, but right on his heels, and Julian Leperu has three, and I believe Adam Biskitza is right there as well, and then um, I believe James Graham has two wins. So there's, this is going to go, I, I'm sure it'll go right down to the last day of the meet, which is so short with only five days that every day counts. And Saturday is kind of the big day as far as the big name stakes, but each day has been equally exciting as far as um, the talent that you're seeing in the deep fields and the opportunities from a wagering standpoint. But what I, I am really excited about Saturday because um, we're just loaded with stakes action, including you know, a million-dollar race, a race like the, then a different race, uh, a $200,000 race that, uh, excuse me, that turf sprint, the Run Happy Turf Sprint is a graded stakes race with um, Breeders' Cup ramifications. For the first time ever, we have a win-and-you're-in race. So the winner of the Run Happy Turf Sprint gets uh, his ticket stamped, so to speak, to the Breeders' Cup sprint, turf sprint. So that's very exciting as well. 
Well, let's get into that race at six furlongs on the turf for grade three, but it is a win and you're in. And with the configuration of this track, it only six furlongs and it starts on the, the deep turn where you kind of almost lose the horses as they go downhill at the start. So it, it's a challenge from go to woe. Uh, Stormy Liberal, of course, is in there. Uh, a very tepid favorite at nine to two, with Empress at four to one. Uh, there's uh, two things I always look at when I handicap Kentucky Downs, and, and I find one thing that stands out and one that doesn't is I like to see horses that won there because it's such a strange track. And also, I always just bet Florent Giroux because I love him. <laughs> well, we love him too. <laughs> but he, I will say this one is um, extremely tough. That you could say for every race for sure. But Stormy Liberal has, has the class, um, you know, and he does look like he's sort of rounding back into form. You know, he did go to Dubai and participated in the spring. He had some time off. He came back and finished third. I thought it was a, a good effort, a first race back. And I think that's what Peter Miller was was kind of counting on. So I, I think we can expect Stormy Liberal to take a big step forward. Totally Boss is extremely interesting in that he set a course record at Ellis Park in the preview for this race, um, kind uh-huh. of the prep. It's, and that, um, you know, obviously different turf courses, different set of circumstances, but we know Totally Boss is is doing well, and he seems to be getting better with every race, and yes. he's fast. Now, the course over the past couple of days has played more towards speed, um, and especially at sprint distances, it's real hard to make up a lot of ground. But in this type of a race, I think that you're going to see a fair kind of outcome. I, I don't know that you can count on any type of a bias. And one thing important on Saturday to keep in mind is that the rail, there's been a rail up, to kind of preserve the inner portion of the turf course, that rail will be down on Saturday. So kind of keep an open mind as to any biases or any preconceived ideas about how the course might play towards speed versus closers because I think it'll change. Um, It's pristine turf that they'll be racing over, and without the rail being placed out, the horses will kind of have an equal shot positioning-wise, and it's more opportunity for horses who are coming from a little off the pace, off the turn, to be able to make up some ground. So um, it's just important to keep that in mind, but you still always want to be close if you possibly can. Impermiss is really a fun horse. I watched him in South Florida, um, and I know he's a Breeders' Cup caliber horse that the Connections Joe Arsino has been, you know, kind of pointing and working backwards from the Breeders' Cup. So this race is really important for him. But I also think it's important for him to get back in form. He did go to Royal Ascot. He, he ran respectably. None of the U.S. horses were able to win um, at that level of competition, but I think he will be a, li- a bit happier getting back to the United States. He's had a little bit of time since he went to Ascot back in, uh, Royal Ascot was back in June. So he's had plenty of time and he's proven that he can run a big race off the bench. He did that in the Silks run back at Gulfstream. So he's going to be fascinating to watch. And, you know, there's, there's a few other horses that I know have been pointed for this. They are taking big steps up in class like Cautious Giant. He was claimed by Mike Maker for 40000 last out, and we've seen Mike Maker work some magic with those claims 
of uh, more seasoned turf horses. The Cautious Giant with Jose Ortiz is kind of um, an interesting price play. Jazzy Times was a little bit unlucky behind uh, Totally Boss last time out, ran almost a winning race. Got to respect that one. And as you mentioned, uh, the, the horse for course angle is always something that I respect. But that said, you really have limited success on the turf from anybody in this field. So I think it's a kind of an even playing field, if you will. All right. Well, Kate, and I know I've, there's three races that we got to get through, but we're not going to. I don't have enough time. I, we're down to like three minutes. So I don't want to miss the million-dollar race. Uh, the Absolutely. Kentucky Turf Cup. It'll be a mile and a half on the turf, uh, 535 Central. I guess that would be 435 for the people around the Eastern. And so, again, uh, this uh, – a Frenchman by the name of Florent Giroux is uh, riding <laughs> perhaps the horse to beat in here, uh, Arclo, who uh, is no stranger to Kentucky Downs. As a matter of fact, I believe won this race last year, didn't he? He did, and um, I think that this field is probably comparable to what he beat last year. Uh, now the question will be if Arclo is quite where he was at last year, but I think he is. You know, he ran fourth in the Breeders' Cup um, following that performance at Kentucky Downs with a second in between in the Sycamore always tries hard. Um, Arkla is probably going to be a pick, top pick for a lot of people, including me. Um, but, um, you know, I would say that the, the horse that ran behind him in the Bowling Green last out uh, at Saratoga, that was as good a field as you're going to find in the Bowling Green. So he, he did very well to finish third beat in just half a length for all of it. And uh, if he if he brings his A game, it's going to be very tough for for others to beat him. Nice, nice race. The bigger picture comes in. He's battled with Arklo. Uh, Mike Maker has a couple in there, um, but I, I'm going to probably probably most likely be picking Arklo on top. Well, uh, I do believe I will be too. And uh, by the way, I am making the trek down there. I haven't been down there for three years, so I'm really looking forward to it. And it looks like the uh, the Kentucky gods of weather are going to be giving us another beautiful day. You've really caught a very good meet. I know uh, it's hit or miss when you only have a turf course, uh, but you guys have been blessed this year. We really have. And I, I think it looks like it's going to continue at least through the weekend. I will say dress for cool for warm weather because I do think it's going to heat up a little bit and they're looking at the high 80s or low 90s. But, uh, you know, it, it can't get any better than, than what you get there as far as racing is concerned. And, and it'll be great to see you, John. I haven't seen you in a little while. I know. Well, you'll see me, and now I'll wear my shorts and sunscreen, so I'll have the big brim exactly. hat, and I'll be the guy with the white cream on his nose and stuff, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely right stop by. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop by and see you, and congratulations once again. I'm winning the Jim McKay Award. Kate and Brader, you're, you're one of the best, obviously, and you're recognized for it. Well, thank you so much, and thanks to everybody who has uh, called and, and extended those wishes, and um, everybody who's coming out to Kentucky Downs. We, we have had a great meet so far, and I know we're going to have more of the same. All right, Kate and Brader, I will see you on Saturday. For you uh, folks listening on Winning Ponies, pull down the card. The fields are 
full of quality horses. There's plenty of angles to be played. Luckily, uh, Kate gave us some insight to several of the races that are going to happen on Saturday. I also I want to thank Barry Meadow uh, for sharing uh, his insights into the Skeptical Handicapper, the new uh, book that he has written. And remember, you can uh, uh, pull that down at trpublishing.com. Want to tell you to pull down the winning ponies, easy win forms, and such big days with such big plays. And remember, when you go to the races, ladies and gentlemen, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Network. <laughs>